Okay, today we are wrapping up our series through the valley. We've been on this series. This will be the fourth week. Um, just to get you up to speed, if you have missed a few weeks, week one, Christy spoke um, really this idea of that we are going to go through valleys, that this idea of mental illness, of depression, anxiety, different struggles that we face, it's not something that we should say, oh, why is this happening to me? It's not happening to anybody else. It's actually something that we all go through from time to time, different seasons. So God is with us in those seasons. And what Christy said, and really what, one of the most important things you'll hear in this series is, but we're going through the valley. A lot of times we kind of settle for it. We set up camp there. We think, well, this is just the way my life is going to be. When in reality, what we should be doing is realizing God is with us and he's leading us through it. He wants to teach us something as we go through the valley. Week two, I talked about this. We can use the scriptures to, to actually retrain our mind where patterns of thought become so habitual, patterns of negative thought, anxious thought can become can become so habitual that our brains just seem to do it automatically, and that's actually what's happening. But we can use the power of the Word of God and the promises that the Word of God has for us to retrain our thoughts, to renew our mind. And then last week, Christy spoke on this story in the Old Testament of the dry bones and the bringing, you know, the bones coming together and flesh forming on the bones and bringing new life into dry bones. And we're believing that God can do that for those of you who are walking through a difficult time, that our God is the God who heals. Amen? Amen. So today as we wrap up, I want to talk about this idea that sometimes we are in a valley through something that's happened to us, through a tragedy, through a loss. Um, and it's vital that as we are in that season that we are open and honest with ourselves, with others, and with God. Mental illness or a season of grieving needs to be addressed. It needs to be brought into the light. And a season of grief and mourning needs to be addressed and embraced and recognized that we're in it and God has something to do for it. It does nobody any good to do the Minnesota nice thing and say, well, I'm just pushing all these feelings down and I'm going to put a smile on it and pretend everything's good when in, this, in the inside things are a storm and you're going through a battle. So that's what we're going to talk about today, this idea of grief or mourning or loss. So... Merry Christmas, everybody, this morning. I was feeling bad this week. I'm like, wow, this other churches are probably doing shepherds and angels, and we're doing mourning. But here, here's what I wanted to recognize. As I was having those Christmassy thoughts this week, it occurred to me that it's actually pretty appropriate for us to talk about this during Christmas, during this holiday season, because this is going to be a season for a lot of people that that loss or that anxiety or that depression just comes to the surface because it's supposed to be where the family's all together. But maybe there's been a loss that you've experienced this year. And this year at Christmas, there's going to be an empty chair around the table. And you're in that season of grieving. And Christmas just seems to be the thing in the midst of all the good stuff that highlights some of these struggles that we're going through. So I want us to recognize this Christmas season can be a season where it is going to be difficult for a lot of people. So we can talk about these things. And I also thought this week, we love, as far as Christmas stories go, we love the cleaned up version of Christmas, right? The, the baby Jesus and the angels and the nativity scene and all the things. Like we, with the, the carols are singing and uh, Bing Crosby is singing in the background, all these things. Like we love that version. But let's think of some of the details, the reality, the, the kind of messy details of this Christmas story that we read about and that we celebrate is when you start with an unwed teenage mother and that would have been scandalous, and her life would have been basically, you know, outcast, and she would have been the outcast of the whole town. You've got this baby being born in a filthy animal barn, 
you have the shepherds involved, and the shepherds were the lowest members of a society, a society that ranked people's importance based on their status or their financial ability to contribute. or whatever. If you were a part of the lowest member of the society, you were treated very unfairly. There was a lot of injustice, mistreatment of people. There was a religious system that was hopeless involving the exploitation of people and greed, and the temple worship had been turned into greed and exploitation. And on top of all of these things, you have Herod, who, because he was threatened by the Messiah coming, is killing off all the babies. So this is the reality of the culture. So when we talk about light into darkness this Christmas season, it's way more than a star, right? It is salvation coming to a world that desperately needed saving. It was dark. Light came into the darkness. So I think it's very appropriate for us to wrap up this series today with kind of a Christmas lens, recognizing it can be difficult this season. Some of these struggles that we go through come to the surface this time of year, but we celebrate light of the world coming into our darkest places, the mess that we have in our life, and bringing hope, bringing healing. Let's never forget Christmas is about salvation coming to earth. So I want us to kind of see all of these battles that we go through through the lens of there is hope, there is the light of the world coming. So as we start today, I want us to start in Psalm 104, talking again about a valley. This whole series has been themed around the valleys that we go through. So really, the Psalm 104, what it starts out talking about is that God has established creation. God created the heavens and the earth. He's Basically, it's establishing that God is in charge. He's in control. Everything that is created, he created it. And then this is what happens, or this is what it says in verse 5 of Psalm 104 says this, he set the earth on its foundations, it can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment, the water stood above the mountains. So initially in creation, it says that the waters hovered above the earth, it was all water. But then at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. They flowed over the mountains and went into the valleys. And then I love this line here, to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines or the valleys. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field, and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. Okay, so weird scripture talking about anxiety and depression. But here's what I want us to get out of that, is that God has established all of these things. God has established the mountains. God has established the valleys. There is a purpose for each. And so when we think about valleys being a difficulty that we walk through, we recognize that God has established that. There is a purpose for the valleys. We read that. There's a purpose for the valleys in creation. They, they collect the water. It brings an area of nourishment, much needed nourishment to all around it. Right? There is a purpose to the valley. And so it is with our hearts. There's a purpose for the valley that you're walking through. God has something that he wants to be accomplished in that valley that cannot be accomplished on the mountaintop. There's just something about walking through a difficulty that humbles us. It softens our heart. It makes us receptive. We are stubborn people at times. And sometimes it takes a valley for us to just be humbled enough where we are open and receptive to what God is trying to do rather than just masking the symptoms of anxiety or depression. He might want to use that season, that valley to get to the heart of the issue, some sort of grief or trauma or loss or something that is wrong in your body, in your brain chemical or something that he wants to address so that there can be fullness of healing. Not Minnesota nice, put a smile on it healing. Fullness of healing. There is a purpose 
to the valley. Valleys are a part of life. And if you're in a valley, I think the most important thing to start with is to acknowledge it, to recognize it, and not pretend that everything's okay when everything is not. And recognize that God might want to do a work in this valley. You don't want to settle there forever, but while you are there, you must allow God to do the healing that needs to be done. And that will only happen when we acknowledge, yeah, I am here. I'm struggling and getting, looking to God and to others for the help that is needed. So we're going to go on in a little bit, but we have a guest who's going to share their story. We've had a guest each week the last three weeks. So Rick Ketterling is going to come up. Rick is a licensed minister, also my brother-in-law, so that is a an extra blessing for my life. Rick is awesome. I've known him a long time. He's going to share just his journey through this depression that he went through many, many years ago. So can we welcome Rick as he comes to share? Jeff hasn't always thought me being his brother-in-law was a blessing. (laughs) Uh, So I just, I want to share like one key point on how I got through depression. And that was no longer cheering for the Minnesota Vikings and cheering for the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> There's always one, right? Um, really, I wanna thank God and my family uh, for getting me through it. I mean, without them, honestly, I don't, I don't know where I would be. And I wanna just share where, where it started. For me, it was a process. It didn't happen overnight. I didn't just all of a sudden gosh, Rick, you're depressed. It started in 2001, and it really manifested itself fully in 2005. So in 2001, after we were attacked September 11th, I had left and went to Afghanistan. So I was in the National Guard. I went to war. Um, I had three-day notice to leave. So I was told on a Friday, and I left on a Monday. At the time, I'm, I, well, I'm still self-employed, but I was selling real estate, and I had to finish my business up. I had to find somebody to cover my business, trying to cover it while I was gone. Um, I had three little kids at home. My youngest was nine months old at that point. In 2003, 2002-2003, after coming back, I had three surgeries, so I'm struggling with pain from surgery. Medication, you know, I have an addictive personality, so anytime I'm, I'm now on painkillers, so I'm battling that on top of it, that I want that addiction to take care of things. I want that to help with how I'm feeling. Uh, in 2004, 2005, we got into a legal battle, and I will tell you, win-lose, we won all the way to the Supreme Court, but I tell you what, if you can avoid a legal battle, avoid that in your life at all costs. Avoid any legal battles. It will, it will cause pain in your life regardless. Um, during that time frame, my dad got sick, he got cancer, and he died. And during that time frame, Kate and I, we were fighting more and more and more. I was angry, and our marriage was struggling. So at that point, I'm figuring, all right, how did I cope with all this going on in my life? Well, for me, I drank. I drank at work. I drank. I worked, and then I drank, and then I drank at work. I drank after work. I avoided my family. I avoided my kids. There was times that my kids would call me on my phone and I would, I would ghost them. I was ghosting because I was busy drinking. That's what I needed to do. I didn't really need to do That's what I thought I needed to do. I had no capacity for regular kid stuff at that time. It took everything in me to deal with my kids 
and with my wife. And I am a slob. Ask my wife, I am a slob. I am not neat. I would come home and I would be angry at my wife because the home was not clean enough for me. And I don't pick anything up. It's horrible. At that moment, I didn't realize that I was depressed. I just knew that my wife, Kate, she needed some help in our marriage because surely it had to have been her fault. I'm sure no one's ever done that before, right, guys? So at that point, how bad did it get? I was so angry that I would literally come home from work and lock myself in my bedroom. I didn't even want to be around anybody. I would come home and I would just hide. I was actually afraid of the anger and the rage inside of me about what I might do to my own kids, that I could literally snap and I might hurt them. If Kate was mad, I didn't understand it. I didn't grasp, why was she mad? It's just one day. I mean, no one else does this, but I'd be like, I just went drinking today, what's the problem? When it was really day by day, month by month, year by year process that was going on. It wasn't just, in my world, it's, well, it's today. Just one day that I drank, it was a problem with my anger and that. So when I got help, how did I get there? I can promise you I didn't get it from my coworkers and some of the friends that I had at the time because they encouraged me to keep drinking. They encouraged me that I had a right to drink, that it was my right, and that my wife clearly was just had issues and she needed some help and she was unappreciative of all the hard work that I do and providing for our family. So when I hit bottom, I think it's funny that Jeff says Christmas time because literally when I hit bottom, I called my brother Rob and I said, Rob, I need a counselor. Our marriage is hurt and we need help. And I called and left a message for the marriage counselor on Christmas Eve. So it's Christmas Eve and go, man, we got family coming together. I don't even know if I can handle this. Left him a voicemail. We finally meet with a counselor. And this is in 2005 when we're finally meeting with him. And he tells me I'm depressed. And the counselor looks at me. He's like, Rick, you are depressed. Now, for me, I'm in utter shock. Because in my mind, I'm like, I am a man's man. I hunt. I fish. I don't curse anymore. But in my mind, my old Rick, I used to feel that that was part of it. You know, you could do that kind of stuff. I can fix things. You know, I like to do that stuff. My nickname is the hammer. I'm a black and white guy. I don't, I mean, it's right, it's wrong, and that's how I am. But I found it at that point that depression, it was, it was me, you know. And the counselor asked me, goes, what do you think depression is, Rick? And the egotistical, self-centered, manly man, Rick, says, Depression is for the weak-minded. It's for the simple people. It's for women. They sit at home. They suck their thumb in a corner. They cry. They sleep all day. Now, this is literally how I answer the counselor. I don't feel this way anymore, so please, you know. But that's how I answered. Clearly, I was wrong. He asked, next thing he asked me is what I thought I was going to say to him when I told, since he told me I was depressed. I looked at him and I said, I was quite confident you were going to tell me I had an ungrateful, heartless, unappreciative wife who didn't appreciate all the hard work that I did. And this is all her fault. Once again, 
Clearly, I was wrong. I came to find out that in Ren, depression comes out in the form of anger. It will manifest itself in anger. It will manifest itself in drinking, withdrawing from people, no drive to work, and no drive to play. And I look back and I realize, I mean, I was full of all those things. And so what did I do after that? I continually was seeking out Christ. I'm in the Word. I'm, in, I'm praying. I'm, I'm meeting with people. I'm meeting with other men to speak life into me, people that were further along in their walk with Christ, maybe people that have gone through this. Um, we went through Christian counseling. I did medication for about a year. I was that low that I had to do medication to get myself to a balance to where we could get through this. And it went really well for years, and then COVID. And COVID hit. And during that time frame, God had called me and asked me to do something. And I knew he asked me to do something, and I kind of ignored him. And I ignored what he wanted me to do. And I tell you what, during that time frame, I got angrier and angrier. I was angry because I had to wear a mask. I was angry because of the shutdowns. I was angry because of the fear in our country. And during that time frame, my family went out to to Las Vegas. I drove my oldest son out to Las Vegas, and then we went and visited our other son in San Diego. And I became so angry and enraged on that trip that I literally was going to fight two guys in the grocery store in San Diego. I mean, we are going toe-to-toe, and I am coming unglued on these guys. And I'm still a credentialed pastor at that point, right? So I'm radiating the love of Jesus Christ on these people in this grocery store. And my oldest son is here, Reed. He comes up and he grabs me and gets between me and him. And he says, Dad, Dad, no, you're better than this. Dad, took my kid to grab me and pull me back. During that same week we were down there, anger was just raging through me. Now my, it was like a perfect storm. My cell phone just stopped working. I'm trying to get a cell phone while I'm down there because I'm trying to still conduct business. I literally am having chest pains and thinking I'm about to have my third heart attack. We go to the hospital and I'm so angry, I'm so filled with anger that I leave the hospital because I don't think they're caring for me properly. Still having chest pains, I literally storm and bust the doors open, kick them out. My wife's walking and she's like, where are you going? I said, these people are horrible. They're just going to let me die. So I leave. And of course, we the next hospital we go is the best cardiac hospital in Las Vegas. And then we end up at like an inner city hospital that's jam-packed, it's dirty. There's people everywhere, metal detectors to go through. I got to leave my knife in the car because I got to go through metal detectors just to get in this hospital. And Laura's like, really? Really, Rick, this is who you're going to be? My wife looks at me and she says, this is, the, this is the angry Rick that used to be here. That's who I see right now. So it snuck back into my life. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't just come overnight all the time. That really just kind of snuck in. And Jeff was saying, sometimes we've got to be in valleys. Well, because of my ignoring God, I was going back through another valley because I chose to walk through that valley because I ignored what he called me to do. Um, and I want to share a way that Kate and I deal with anger. Because if anybody else, maybe if your spouse says, listen, you need to shut up, you're angry, you're, stop yelling. You know, it's like pouring a cup of 
fuel on a fire, right? It just, it enrages me. It just sends me through the roof. So we came that it's just a simple touch from her. If I'm losing it, she'll just come up and touch me. She just touches me and she looks me in the eye. She doesn't say a word. Because, you know, sometimes just speaking sends you off. She just looks me in the eye and I know that what she's saying. And she's saying, I love you and you're better than this. You've got this. So now, how do I deal with this? I constantly am in the prayer and in the word. If I am not in the prayer, if I'm not praying, if I'm not in the word, I'm not going to be in a good place that I need to be in. I have solid friends in counsel. I am in multiple men's groups. If I have time, I am going to men's group, and I will make the time always. I have groups that I have been in for five years. Now, we meet on Thanksgiving. We meet, I mean, we meet. And you need men in your life. Guys, if you're here and you, you need men in your life, you need to show up to a Bible study. We have one here at Homestead, Monday night, 7 p.m. We're in the Word, and we're connecting with other guys. And I communicate with my wife. We talk all the time. She'll let me know if I'm getting out of line. And then recognizing what triggers you. I recognize the difference between an anger and depression. Because there's times where it's just anger because I'm watching too much news, too much social media, listening to too much talk radio. And at that point, I'm losing control of what God has got for me because I'm allowing the world to influence me when there's no reason for it. I'm, I'm feeding myself anger Bites of anger. So two of the verses that I have and then I'm done that, that are go-to for me. And they're so go-to for me that I tattooed them on my arm so that I just made sure they're always with me. And it's 2 Corinthians 10.5, to take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. And Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's a reminder to me that I need to take my thoughts captive. I need to take captive what I have going on. And when I don't think I can do it, i got to remind myself that I can do all things through Christ who, who strengthens me. So if you're struggling, don't be too proud to get help. If you want to talk to me, talk to me. I love to have coffee, and I'll sit and talk for hours. So that's it. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Rick. That was great. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for serving our country. Thanks for... Rick is a... Rick, he mentioned he's a real estate agent. He's a great realtor if you need a realtor. I know this because every three months, my wife decides where we live is terrible and we need an acreage or a crappy barn somewhere or something. And I can't bear that weight on my own. So Rick is like... Always want okay, and we just like okay. Let's go show Christy some more things, and so that's that's probably how Rick speaks to my soul the most. <laughs> Rick's a great example, and I use Rick as an example all the time of someone who has changed drastically. I I remember old Rick. I remember that Rick. He was angry, and I just ha I always use him as an example of someone who just o is open to God changing them, like a drastic night and day difference. So. Um, I think too often we get stuck in, oh, this is just the way I am. That's just the way I am. Too many people get stuck in that habit of medicating or settling for the bad habits that they have. And Rick's a great example of really becoming a different person. So thanks, Rick, for sharing today. Um, he talked about how uh, he went through a valley, and it was based on a lot of different factors. Probably some burnout, stress, fatigue, mourning the loss of his dad. 
um, probably some trauma from being overseas. And, uh, and he mentioned, as we all like to do at times, we just say, well, I just, I'm going to gut it out. It's fine. I'll just get through it. I'll just take a nap or I'll medicate in some other way. And often what we do is we try to avoid that valley that we're in or we'll deny it. We'll deny that we're struggling. And when we go through a trial like that, a trauma, a season of depression or grief or loss, it's vital. It is vital that you are open with, your, with yourself, with others, with God. You are honest with yourself, with others, and with God. You can't just hold it in. We think we can sweep it under the rug or push it down or gut it out, and it's always going to be there. And we have known this from time. I mean, we see it in our kids. We see it in our loved ones. We see it in ourselves. We think, oh, I'm just going to keep it down, keep it down. I'm fine. Don't get frustrated. And then you think you're doing fine, and then it just erupts because those things are not dealt with. They're always stewing. They're always growing. That loss, that grief, that trauma, that depression, anxiety, anger, whatever it is, we have to be open and honest and get it out, Right? I've been reading a couple articles this week as I was studying. One was by a psychologist named Tyan Dayton, and she was mentioning that this idea of pushing down these feelings, she had, this is what she said in one of these articles I read. She said this, When loss is not accompanied with some sort of process that allows us to both feel and express our feelings of despair, vulnerability, disorientation, and perhaps even relief, those emotions can go underground, but out of sight is not out of mind, and we've experienced that, right? They will come back to haunt us if we do not somehow find a way to accommodate and accept the loss that has taken place. So when we're going through a difficult season, there's going to be a time when we're in a valley and we have to accept that we're there and recognize we got to go through it. We have to go through it. We have to recognize we're in a season of grief. And she, this psychologist goes on to say some things we have a built-in season, like if you lose a loved one, there's that time leading up to the funeral where friends are around and you're sharing memories and you can kind of process. But then a lot of people say, well, it's, that week isn't long enough. You need, you know, it's not just a few days. I know it sounds like the, the winds are howling out there, but it's not just a few days where you have those, those, that season, you need to process longer. Some people, it takes months or years to process that grief. And then she also said, but there's other times that we experience loss in our life where there isn't that built-in cultural moment where we can process with loved ones. We go through something and we feel alone. Nobody knows. We feel like we're walking through this by ourselves. And so the way to healing is to allow that season to be there, to acknowledge the loss and to express it with others to recognize it's there. Don't push it down, but bring it to the light. Allow other people and allow God to know that you are struggling. Now, this is what psychologists would say, and we also see this in Scripture. And I love it when science, modern science, catches up with what God has put in Scripture for thousands of years. There's a passage in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19. It says this, Lamentations 3.19, I will, remember, I will remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. So this is not someone who's pushing down the feelings. The writer of this is acknowledging there is a valley I'm going through. And then he says this, yet I will call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. 
for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. So you see how there's both things happening? There's an acknowledgement of the storm you're going through. There is a time of grieving, and yet I will hope in the Lord. We can do both of those things. Too often in our are what we try to be overly polished, smiley Christian church world. We don't do the fir- we don't acknowledge the hurt there. We just put on the well, bless God, you know, everything's great, things are fine. We haven't acknowledged that there's a hurt, that there's a grief that we need to walk through. We can do both and say, I am struggling, yet I will hope in the Lord. I am struggling and I'm going to let other people help me and I know that God is bringing me through the valley. Amen? My soul is downcast, yet in the midst I remember the Lord's great love, his compassion, his mercies that are new every morning. We acknowledge where we are and we put our faith in God that he's going to bring us through it. There's a Hebrew word in the Old Testament. The word is Shiva, S-H-I-V-A, Shiva. Now, this is a word for a season of mourning that people would go through. So if there was a death of a loved one, what would happen is immediately after the burial ceremony, family, a few family and friends would come and they would sit Shiva with the the person who had lost a loved one. And what that meant was it was a seven-day stretch where they were in their house with them night and day, just being with them. And allowing the, allowing the person who had experienced loss to recognize this. I'm struggling, but I have, a, I have a group of people around me, and I can process. And when I want to share, I have people who can help me process. And for seven days, the family and loved ones would sit with them and just be with them. Now, some of you are like, that sounds like a long time. I'm just trying to get through Christmas Eve with my family. I wouldn't want seven days. But it goes to show that in God's system, what he said in place is this idea of you need to be in a place where you're around people so that you can have those moments of processing what you're going through. Allow the process of loss to be real in the presence of loved ones so that you can have the support you need to grieve through this season. You know the book of Job, the story of Job, the guy that lost everything, and he had his friends that were with him? Well, that's what his friends were doing. They were sitting Shiva with him for seven days, and they were with Job. Now, the book of Job is a great example for a lot of lessons, one of which is these friends did a terrible job being around Job during this time, right? Because what did his friends do? They kept giving the very, like, churchy, well, if you just repent... God's good, and he's going to, you know, if you repent what you've done, God's going to bless you again. And It sounds kind of Christian-y good, but God actually rebukes his friends. So if you're ever in a moment, this is, Scripture is very clear. If you're ever in a moment where you're around someone who's experienced loss or mourning or grief, it's okay to just be quiet. This is what the book of Job is about, right? This is what God has basically given us a book in the Bible to tell us as Christians, sometimes just put a sock in it, right? Just don't say anything. Because we like to just say all, when we're in a moment where we're uncomfortable, we just try to think of the cheesy Christian thing, like, well, God never gives you more than you can handle. I hate that. God gives us more than we can handle all the time. That's the point of salvation is because we can't handle it on our own. So if you feel like you're in a moment trying to help someone through a process of grieving and you don't know what to say, just zip it until, until you feel like you have something to say that isn't cheesy Hallmark card Christian sayings, you know, the the word of God is good, 
But sometimes we don't, in a lack of knowing what to say or how to help, we try to say things that we just need to be there with people. We just need to be there with people. I've been in the room with people who have lost loved ones, and in the moment I've thought, I don't really, how do you know what to say? And later on I hear over and over, just thanks for being there. Thanks for being there. So you can do that with people who are going through a loss. Be there. I love that God has that. As, as a part of the Jewish system, the heritage that they had is that sitting Shiva. Loved ones come around and are just there for a week so we can process. And sometimes it's going to take longer than a week. Sometimes what you're thinking is right now you're like, I don't have family. I don't ha- I'm going through something that people don't know about. Or the people that I have in my life, I don't want them around me as I'm going through this. If you're feeling like you're alone in this, this is the beauty of a church family. Okay, because we got to get past this whole idea of like we gloss everything over and put a smile on it and everything's fine. We are all struggling at times. We are all broken at times. So we have a church family that will walk through you through this season that you're in. This is the beauty of a church family. There is a purpose to the valley you're in. There is a process for healing that God wants to do in your life. The valley, like we read about in that first passage, Psalm 104, where the valley serves a purpose, where it collects the water, it brings nourishment. Going through a season of valley is where a time of strengthening, where God wants to give you healing or strengthening. A valley might be a season of preparation where God is getting ready to do something. A valley, like what Rick said, he was walking away from what God had called him to do, and he was in the valley, and God was trying to get his attention. We are stubborn people that at times God is saying, I'm just trying to get your attention. I'm waiting for you to wear yourself out like the tired toddler that just fights taking a nap and eventually they just conk out, right? We do this at times where we're in a valley and God is saying, I'm trying to get you to learn a lesson or I'm trying to bring healing at the root of the issue. It's a season of healing or preparation or nourishment. It can be a season going through a valley of perspective and empathy, where you emerge from the valley down the road and you are much more equipped now to be with someone who is going through that same thing. Someone helping someone who's in addiction, someone who's gone through it and is in recovery now can walk alongside and say, I've been there. If you've experienced hurt or the death of a loved one or some sort of other loss that has been so traumatic and you get through it, you are now empathetic to those who are going through it and you can be with them and say, I've been there. I've been there. Sometimes all you need from people is just to say, hear someone say, I've been there too. I've been there. I know what it's like. So don't skip the process of a valley. One of the causes of depression and anxiety is unresolved trauma. You've experienced something difficult or traumatic and you have not adequately dealt with it. So I have four things as we wrap up today, real quick. They're going to be up on the screen. Four things as we kind of wrap up this whole series. The first is if you're in a valley, the first one is this. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge it recognize it, express it, embrace it, and then look ahead in the midst of hurt and loss and recognize that God's there with you and he is leading you through it, that his mercy and love is new every morning. But acknowledge that it's there. The second one is this, talk to someone. Talk to someone. Don't carry it on your own. Don't just sweep it under the rug. Talk to someone. Talk to a therapist. Talk to a family member. Talk to a spouse. Talk to someone at church. We've got a room, full of, a room full of people here who'd be happy to just listen and talk to you about stuff. Get help if you need it. Talk to someone. I think this church family could be a great resource for you just to find someone. Get involved in a men's group. Get involved in a women's Bible study. Get a group of people around you that you can talk to about some of these things. People that you know is going to have a godly, scripture-based perspective. I think a church, any church should be marked 
first and foremost with a love for God, but really close to that is just a love and acceptance of people where we can support and love one another through the valleys we walk through. Churches can do all sorts of other cool stuff and throw Christmas carnivals and all that stuff, but a marking thing of Homestead Church is always going to be we are a family that is going to support one another. We're going to help each other grow in our faith. Talk to someone. The third one is this, don't deflect. Don't deflect on others. Rick shared this. I've gone through seasons where it was the same thing, where I was feeling angry. I was feeling down. And I was just convinced it's everybody else, right? It's everybody else. Certainly it's my wife and my kids and my coworkers. No offense, coworkers, because it wasn't the case. Or my church or everything, what's going on in the world. Very similar to what Rick was saying. Don't deflect. It's an issue that's going on in your heart. Your heart is your issue. Deal with it. Don't deflect on other people. And here's the fourth one, and here's how we're going to wrap up this series for just a couple of minutes. What you feel is not always what's real. How you feel is not always what's real. How many of us have been led astray by the feelings of a moment, right, where we're convinced, I need this, or this would make me happy? How you feel will lead you astray. Now, this isn't to diminish how you're feeling if you're going through a season of mental illness or grief or loss. But how you're feeling is not always what's real. It is certainly not all-encompassing of what is real. And illustrating this is a great story in the book of Elisha, or the book of Second Kings, the story of Elisha. There is no book of Elisha. If you were saying, I wonder where the book of Elisha is, you need to read your Bible more. That was a trick. That was a test. The book of Second Kings, chapter 6, the story of Elisha. Now, real quick, we're going to wrap up in a couple minutes. What's happening is the Israelites have an enemy nation, the Arameans, the nation of Aram, and they're always attacking Israel, and they're trying to defeat the Israelite army. And what's happening is that Elisha is the prophet of God. And so what God is doing is telling Elisha, okay, go and tell the Israelite army leader that the Arameans are planning an attack around here, and they're going to be waiting for you here, so tell them to go a different way. So Elisha goes and tells the leader of the Israel art army, guess what? God told me that the enemy's over there, so we should go over here. Then the enemy tries to do the sneak attack, ha, and the Israelites are gone. And they're like, why does this keep happening? Like, how do they know? God's giving their secrets to the Israelites, so clearly they're not going to be successful. So eventually, this happens a few times, eventually what happens is someone realizes, you know what? It's this prophet, it's Elisha, who's giving away all our secrets. So they go and tell the, the king of Aram, they're like, it's this prophet, this man of God, who's telling all our secrets to Israel. God's revealing it to him. So they think, well, we got to go find Elisha and wipe him out. So Elisha is not with the army, so he's not protected. He's just with a servant, and they're in this small village. And what happens is, in 2 Kings chapter 6, I'm going to start reading it in uh, chapter or verse 15 and 16 because what happens is the army of Aram eventually catches up with Elisha. And this happens one morning. When the servant of the man of God, when the servant of Elisha got up and he went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant said because the enemy army has found them and surrounded the city. They're trapped. And Elisha says this. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, if you're the servant in that moment, that sounds crazy. Because you're doing the math. You're like, well, I see me and I see Elisha. That's two. And I see an entire army surrounding us. And yet you're saying those who are with us are more than with them. And maybe that's a metaphor for, you know, we've got the the power of all our loved ones in our heart, you know, something like that. But here's what the story goes on to say, because what you feel like in the moment, now here's what I want you to receive today. 
You might be going through something and it feels hopeless. It feels dark. It feels like you're alone. It feels like the enemy is surrounding you and there is no way out. And it is just a matter of time before you are taken out. That's what it feels like. But what you feel is not always what's real because read verse 17. And then Elisha said, or Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. When the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. So there's the enemy army surrounding the town. And then surrounding the enemy army is the army of God, the chariots of fire. And this is where, if you're like me, you hear the theme song from chariots of fire starting in your head because that really makes it way cooler in that moment. Now notice what Elisha doesn't say. Elisha prayed and then this army appeared. He doesn't say, God, make an army appear that's going to help us. He said, God, help my servant to see what's already real, what's already in place. Help my servant to see what the reality of the spiritual realm is, what the spiritual reality is. All he's seeing is the the, the earthly enemies around us. He's forgetting about the God of heaven, the heavenly armies, the angels and the chariots of fire. Right? The chariots of fire. Young people, you have no idea what I'm doing. Is Is that a Drake song I'm doing? He has no idea the spiritual realities that are in place. So when you are feeling alone or in the dark or defeated, you need to have God open your eyes to the spiritual reality that is already there. He is there to help you. He is there to bring you victory, to bring you through the valley. You are not alone. Those who are with you are greater than those who are for them. For any enemy you are facing, there is an army of God around you who is more numerous than anything you're facing. Amen? This is what I want you to get today. You have the God of heaven on your side bringing you through the valley. You have a family of God with you who wants to be with you to help you through life. God is with you. You are not alone. There is hope. There is peace. There is joy. And I believe it can be this Christmas season where you recognize, yeah, I am hurting because of this and this, but I still will recognize the presence of God, the light into the darkness, the hope of the world. Amen? Can we stand together? As we pray, as we close, I want us to do this. If you receive that word that there is hope, that God is with you in the valley, just lift up your hand and let's just take a moment and pray. God, will you receive your word today? And if, if you are carrying a burden, you're walking through a valley, just lift it up. This raised hand just signifies, God, I'm lifting up my cares and my burdens to you, and I receive the hope of God in my situation. I don't want to push it down. I want to be open and honest with this family of believers, with you, God, with loved ones. And God, I know that you are with me. So what feels like is happening, I recognize is not real. It's not the scope of reality because you are there. There is a spiritual element at work fighting for me, bringing me through this valley, bringing healing and hope and peace and joy at the end of this journey. So, Lord, we receive it today. We allow our faith to be lifted today. We lift our eyes to you today, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So I pray for those who are hurting today that you would bring tangible people and and conversations and signs that you are with them this week, that they would recognize you are with them, that you are walking with them through this season, that they would sense your presence, that you would bring good results of, of battles that they're going through, that you would bring victories where needed, that you would change hearts of people where needed. God, if people are walking away in disobedience, that you would again gently remind them what you have called them to do. Lord, I pray that you would do a work individualized for every heart today. And we receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you receive that word, you say with me, amen. 
Amen. Thank you, Homestead Church, for being with us today. If you would like someone to pray with you, we have prayer teams up at the front. They'd be happy to talk with you and pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.